Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Serving as a veteran now on the outside, I see all these people that never served, and they're like, kill them all, you know, and, and it's like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. War is ugly and nasty and and chances are if i pushed you out the door of that helicopter you'd be shitting your pants that is brandon webb and this is episode 196 of the osher ginsburg podcast G'day, welcome to episode 196 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and today's episode is with Brandon Webb. You can find him on Twitter, Brandon T. Webb, with two Bs, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T-W-E-B-B. Thank you so much uh, for listening, because without you, we got no show. So thanks heaps for being a part of it. Glad you could be here. Uh, it's Sunday night. Um Recording this late again. Sorry, Andy. My producer is waiting for this, and um, I've still got a bit of prattling on to do. Um, this morning in Brisbane, I ran uh, the Bridge to Brisbane, which is a 10K run, and it's just bloody lovely. I, I told you I'd be doing it last week, and I was stoked for all the people that came up and said hello. That was really, really nice to meet everyone. Um, it's, if you've never done a run like that, it's, you know, it's a 10K. It's, it's not a marathon. It's not a half marathon. It's 10K. And um, I hadn't run a race. I haven't run a 10K. I haven't run in like since 2013, I think, was the last time I, I ran anything of any significance. Um, it was freaking great. And it's just so great to talk to everyone and have a chat with all the, everyone as you run and you talk and, hey, that's, you know, great tutu and look at you. You're dressed like a carrot and 
you know, met some fantastic people along the way. A couple of people stopped and asked for photos. That was heaps of fun. It's just so wonderful to do a thing with so many people that are a part of a community. You know, you, you can go see a movie and maybe you're doing 300 people doing the same thing, but to have, I think there was like 20,000 people that started it. It's so great. It's so great that all of us from all different walks of life were all coming together to do this one thing. And there were people of all different shapes and sizes. I'm telling you, like, Big people, small people, tall people, short people, people of every color of the rainbow. I saw a, a young lady running in a burkini. Um, it, it was freaking great, and it was it was it was great. We had a really great time. Um, for some reason, I don't know, work paired me with a one of the street team people, um, young Liv, who works at the the station up in Brisbane, and they had this idea that oh she'll run and take photos and and stuff like that and you know, hold the phone when they want the studio to call you. And I thought, oh, okay. And I called her the day before. I said, have you ever run a 10K before? She goes, what do you mean 10K? What do you mean running 10 like, like, yeah, anyway. Um, so I didn't want to leave her behind. And so I ran with Liv and kind of let her walk for a minute, let her run for a minute. I, I slowed my pace down and when she was walking and then we sped up a bit when, when she ran. And, you know, she went from going, oh, my God, it's eight kilometers to go to crossing a finish line, 10Ks. It was great. It was a really, really fun day. It was really good good to do. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I've got another one this weekend. I'm running in the Father's Day um, run in a Centennial Park in Sydney for the Indigenous Marathon Project. If you remember when Robert DiCostello came on this show and talked about the Indigenous Marathon Project a few, be a year ago now. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go run that. And uh, that's going to be fun. I might go a little faster than I did today. Uh, today was just to see if I could do the distance, which I can. And. Um, it's a bit weird because you want to compare yourself to how you ran last time when you were in your last memory of it, but that was four years and 20 kilos ago. So <laughs> there's no way I'm going to run as fast as I used to. Uh, a big thanks to everyone that supports the show on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Osher. That is uh, where you can go to support the show. It's super easy to, to, to pledge money towards the show. Um, each month, a little bit of money gets taken out of whatever account you nominate. But what it does is it helps me pay my producer, Andy Marr, and my production coordinator, Hayley Van Spania. Without these two people, I couldn't make this show. Absolutely no way. So if you like the show, if it brings you any value in your life at all, if you've heard one of these shows in the past few weeks, and gone, you know what, that's actually, uh, that, that's helped me in my day. Um, if it's worth to you a fancy cup of coffee once a month, I'd really appreciate the help because uh, it really helps me help pay Andy and Hayley. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. And um, these people help me make the show. I, as you know, I am in recovery, and uh, part of uh, being in recovery is living a life where you're accountable for your actions. And I have to, I have to make a bit of an amends at the moment. I took my took a flight back from Brisbane to Sydney today, and um, I was waiting. I walked down to the gate and I saw there's two lanes to line up, right, to get onto the onto the plane. There's the regular people lane and then there's the red lane and there's a black lane, which is like the frequent flyer gold lane, platinum lane. And I've got you – know, I fly a lot, so I'm in that lane, right? And there was about five or six people in that line and I kind of just stood just to the side of it behind a woman who had a little baby on her. It was kind of like the line wasn't quite a line at this point. It was more just a kind of group of people. I thought, okay, I'll stand nearby. And then I got lost in my phone. Anyway, I look up and I see this I see this lady walking away. I think, oh, we're moving now. And no, no, she's just doing the part where they board kids early. And then I look around 
And the line of just a few people has now become a line of about 30 people and they're all behind me and I'm standing there all by myself. Then they came on the PA and they said, Ladies and gentlemen, Qantas flights are proceeding. He is now ready for boarding. In the left lane, you can be the economy people. In the right lane, you can be the fancy people. And I did the human equivalent of racing down past the traffic in the emergency lane and then sticking your indicator on right where the freeway merges. Um, I did that and I, I jumped in front of a lot of people and I feel like a bit of a prick for doing it. Uh, I'm sorry I did it. I try to live a life where I don't do things like that anymore. I used to do that sort of thing a bit. Um, I try to live a life where I don't do things like that anymore. Um, I can't tell you why I did it today, but I did it today. And I'm, uh, if you were there, I'm sorry. It was a shitty thing to do to you. Um, if you weren't there, hey, just know that uh, tomorrow's another day and it's another chance for me to not be that guy. And I'm going to try hard to not be that guy for the rest of today. And then I'm going to try to not be that guy tomorrow. But I was that guy today for just a little bit. And I'm sorry about that. So sorry. If we see each other at the airport again, come and say hi. And I will go and stand behind you. <laughs> a big thanks to everyone that sent me through a podsy this week. Now, if you've never heard this show before and you're wondering, what the hell does that word mean? It's a photo taken with the phone you're listening to this on of what you're looking at right now. So uh, whip the phone out of your pocket or your bag or your, wherever you are. If you're driving, please don't do it, but anywhere else. And just shoot a shot of what you're looking at while you're listening to this. Um, had some great ones lately, some fantastic international ones, which has been super fun. Um, but generally, from what I can gather, people who listen to the show listen to podcasts the way I listen to podcasts, either going for walks or cleaning. And so I've seen some fantastic apartment cleaning going on and some brilliant house cleaning going on and a lot of other kind of cleaning going on. And that makes me happy that I'm helping you make the most of your time um, because goodness knows what I do any of, uh, when I do any housework around my place, I'm always listening to podcasts. Um, in fact, I, I might spend more time deciding what podcast I'm going to listen to than I actually do cleaning because it's a, a paralysis of choice. Uh, so thank you very much. You can send them to me, uh, email, send osher email at gmail.com or you can tag me on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or wherever you choose to tag me. So let me tell you about my guest today. Brandon Webb is a former U.S. Navy SEAL sniper who served with the Navy SEALs in SEAL Team 3. He is now out of the military, but is a New York Times bestselling author. He's an independent digital media mogul of his own creation. He's a father. He's an experimental aircraft pilot. Uh, and all those things make him a very interesting and inspiring man to talk to. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, Brandon T. Webb, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T-W-E-B-B. Brandon's no, Brandon's no stranger to this podcast. He was a part of an epic two-parter back in episode 61 and 62. I highly recommend going back and listening to his story. Uh, but the short version, uh, to catch you up to speed, uh, Brandon grew up in California. He learned to love the water very early. School didn't really work out for him. So he got a job on a scuba diving boat taking um, groups of scuba divers down uh, on excursions through the day. Um, he was still a teenager when he was doing that, working on a dive boat. Soon after, he found his way into the U.S. Navy 
and quickly became a, a very, very highly skilled operator. He set his sights on becoming a Navy SEAL, um, but Brandon faced a lot of adversity as he was very skillful in, in many different disciplines uh, of, of operating on, on, a, on, a, on a boat. Um, particularly, you know, when it comes to, you know, helicopters and, and, and reading certain radar and, you know, all sorts of things like that. So um, his level of skill actually m made him invaluable to have around. And some of his commanding officers were quite reluctant to release him to try out for the SEAL program, even though he'd applied many times. Um, but eventually he did make it. And out of a starting class of 200, he was one of only 23 to graduate the, when he tried out. He quickly found his place as a sniper and Brandon served all over the world, including in Afghanistan. And if you listen to the other podcast, you'll hear him tell a story about in the very early weeks after 9-11, um, hunting bin Laden in the caves, the mountains caves of Afghanistan. And, you know, it was essentially dinner was still on the stove, but the rooms were empty. Um, yeah, I'll let him tell you the story. Brandon, uh, while he was there as a part of the Navy SEALs, he also helped redevelop, or in fact, redevelop the sniper training program to enormous success. And he worked hard to create a learning environment that taught more trainees more successfully than ever before. And if you want the long version of, of that journey with loads of excellent storytelling thrown in from Brandon, you can start listening to the earlier podcast that he and I did. But you could also read some of his excellent books, The Red Circle, Among Heroes, The Power of Thought, and the latest, two latest ones, The Killing School, which is the one about the uh, SEAL Sniper training program. And his latest book, Total Focus, How to Make Better Decisions Under Pressure. I think we could all use a bit of that. I certainly could have earlier today. <laughs> his books are great reads, clearly written by someone who understands effective teaching techniques and the power of a great story in uh, the learning process. Brandon's a very gifted writer. He's a superb storyteller. I couldn't be more grateful that he gave up his evening out in New York uh, where he actually he did end up going out with friends afterwards, but uh, he gave up a dinner uh, to spend an hour on a Skype call with me back in Sydney. If you like what you hear, you can follow Brandon on Twitter. Like I said, he's Brandon T. Webb with two Bs. Well, there's three Bs if you count the B at the beginning, but that's just me being pedantic. Let him know you heard him here. So enjoy this conversation. Uh, me in my apartment in Sydney and Brandon in his beautiful apartment in Manhattan. Enjoy. It's uh, it's about it's about 9.30 in, in Australia. What time have we got you there in New York City? 7.30. Well, uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. Well, uh you know, you should should be out enjoying the, the beautiful meals available at your doorstep in beautiful New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding the uh, young single woman at bay for you. So. Just for you. <laughs> uh, look, it's been like the, the last time we spoke, we were in, uh, it was, I think it was December. Um, it was winter. Uh, we were in, uh, we were in New York City and uh, you were talking about releasing uh, The Killing School. Yeah. Uh, you've released that and you've just put out a new one, uh, Total Focus. So I definitely do want to talk about that yep. later on. But I think for a, a lot of Australians, we just want to know from someone who's living in America what it's what it's like at the moment. Because we, we look at the news and we think, well, everything seems to be on fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little hectic, to be honest. But I think it's mainly the same phenomenon I mean, Australians are, and the rest of the world are experiencing. It's the press have just made 
they haven't taken the high road in this. They, you know, and Trump's made the media largely an adversary. Yeah. And they've just completely made it into a circus and much worse than it probably should be. And I'm not making any excuses for, for Trump and um, his, his tweeting uh-huh. and the rest of it. it. You know, and it's – I think my personal opinion is he's – did do a lot of what he said he's going to do from a like hey go into dc and just completely flip that table over yeah um because people just don't know what to do and so you know part of me you know was frustrated with the, the career politicians and just fed up with this kind of political dynasties you know with the clintons and the bushes but you know it's 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 like living in a reality show to be honest with you and Something he's familiar with, and I guess it would be it would be very be very frustrating as a, as as a citizen seeing, you know, for example, the the minister in charge of I don't know, let's just say you know energy, then turn around as soon as the government changes and then become the chief lobbyist or the chief you know CEO of some energy company, and then when the government changes back, boom, they're back again as the minister. Yeah, you know, it must be very frustrating as a civilian to see that re- kind of revolving door. Yeah, you know, and probably my biggest frustration lately has been this whole Afghanistan mess. You know, you look at uh, I I read somewhere that Trump had sat down with a couple soldiers and had had this you know conversation, and then met with his generals who were like, "Oh, we're going to troop surge in Afghanistan," and and he was actually hard on them, from what I read in this article, but. But this, and basically he was saying, well, how do you define success in Afghanistan? Like this is just seems like a complete waste and disaster, which which I think it is, as well. And and he just kind of let the generals that he put in there do it anyway. And and that to me is extremely frustrating. Like we've we've lost so many lives and pumped billions, if not trillions, of dollars in Afghanistan for absolutely nothing. Like we should have went over there. Wiped out the training camps for the terrorists, set up a small special ops unit to go track down bin Laden and pulled everyone out. Instead, we've we've done this failed nation building and and have had a worse record than the Soviets. I mean, they they tried the same thing. It's just and it's just a huge waste of life and money. So it's it's frustrating to see no end in sight to that. And the Australians, I know. Are, have been over in Afghanistan as well. I serve with the S, the Australian SAS guys out of Perth in Kandahar right after 9/11. It must be. I mean, last time we spoke, uh, you mentioned you basically coming into caves up in the Afghani mountains, and you know the dinner's still on the table. There's yeah. posters of planes attacking the towers. Uh, you were you you missed them by the skin of their teeth, and well, that was 16 years ago. Yeah, it's crazy to think about it and like what the hell are we doing over there yeah and there's there's really no strategic value there's there's no there's no stockpile of resources you know or in or you know strategic value in afghanistan other than hey we we fucked up this country and we kind of owe them something but that doesn't mean we need to to still be occupiers cuz it's it's clearly not working. And I, I, I remember going to this dinner probably eight, 
nine years ago, maybe longer. And I sat down at this table of defense industry executives in America, you know, and they're, you know, they're there to hear this guest speaker, Mary Walker. Mary Walker was the head uh, lawyer or attorney. She was the attorney general for the Air Force. And back then I asked her at the end of her talk, she's a very intelligent lady. I said, Mary, what the hell are we doing in Afghanistan? Nobody seems to know. Like, no, the politicians do not know. The military commanders don't know. The troops don't know. What is our ultimate strategy in Afghanistan? Nobody tells me, like, I, I, nobody tells me a straight answer. And she said, I don't know either. And these defense industry guys who are like heavyweight titans of the defense industry were dumbfounded. You know, and these guys are patriotic and, I have no, you know, no problem. You know, these guys are supplying the military with product radios and stuff like that. Yeah. But they were dumbfounded. They're like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> what the <laughs> hell are we doing? Yeah. And it was just very clear. It became clear to them. And I, I asked it because I wanted them to know, too. Like, this is this is crazy. And that was, you know, almost nine years ago. As someone who's who served for for quite a long time in, in the military in the States, what what would it be like if you can offer a perspective? What would it have been like if when you were serving, the, the president, the commander-in-chief, was basically tweeting out policy rather than going through the, you know, the chain of command that, that you're used to? How would, that affect, how would that have affected you? I mean, to be honest, uh, I'll be completely real with you. Like I am t- today, as somebody that's been out of the military for over 10 years, I have a very different viewpoint and see things from a different lens. But when you're in the military, you largely don't really care about politics. All you care about and that is important to you is that there's a sitting president that supports the military. And good or bad, Trump for sure has the support of the military and and the the morale is is much higher than it was under Obama for, for better or for worse, right? And because the fact is the military community is generally conservative. It's why I get a hard time when I apply f- to buy an apartment in New York City and the co-op board, like, who's this military guy? Because you know, the apartment renting process in New York, I'm not sure if you are familiar with it, is it's like adopting a child. Like yeah. They want to know everything about you. And I get biased because they're like, oh, you're just this Trump supporter. I'm like, you don't know who the hell I am. Like, what are you talking about? But, but I understand because the the truth is most of the military is kind of leans conservative, and they, and when the guys are in, they really don't care. They're like, I just want to do my job and stay out of politics. What would you say? I, I, I saw it uh, written certainly after all the stuff that happened in Charlottesville um, when it came to you know racial tensions in the states yeah. that. Any the, and the, the 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 headline was anyone that's ever served and has had someone from a different different ethnic background watch their back and put that trust in them would never have a problem. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that for sure. I think you know it's the same. I I talk to some of my friends. They may never say it publicly just because they don't want to deal with the the social. Um, just consequences because you know it's like you voice your opinion on social media now and it's the angry mob is just around the corner yeah and so but i have a lot of friends in the special ops community that 
who have friends that they serve with that were either gay um, or found out later, you know, like we had the Kristen Beck, who is the first openly transgender seal. And they really don't give a crap about it because they're like, look, it's as long as this person does a jo- their job and, and, and is the best you know, person for the job, we really don't care. And that that's one of the actual really beautiful things about my time in the military was being jammed together with these different races and cultures and religions. And then you just, all that bias that we walk around with, you know, in our, and we grow up with and all the, the BS, it just kind of goes away. And so I do think that is a good thing in the, in the military and, you know, and, and serving as a veteran now on the outside, I see all these people that never served and they're like, kill them all, stack the bodies to God. And they're just like, crush it every day, you know? And, and I'm like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, man. Like war is ugly and nasty. And, and chances are, if I push, pushed you out the door of that helicopter, you'd be shitting your pants like a baby. So I don't want to hear you being a, an Instagram warrior and, and talking about stacking the bodies to God. Cause you know, it's just ridiculous. And so, you know, and, and I look at those goofball white supremacists. I mean, half of them are probably living in their parents' basement still. Um, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous uh, to me. And, and I, I think most of America is extremely let down with how, callous and unpolished Trump was dealing with that situation because we just, most of America doesn't have time for that stuff anymore. And the rest of the world, even, I think like we're getting past it and, and to kind of like not just stomp out the, you know, that racist bullshit, I think it was a huge, obviously a huge mistake on his part. And he's, he is paying for it for sure in the press over here. It's nice to it's nice to hear that because a lot of the stuff, as you mentioned, certainly with social media, the loudest voice is the one that gets heard. And yep. uh, you know, bearing in mind that we're a long way away here, we only really see the 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 headlines that are brought to us via news aggregation, which puts the clicks the most clicks go to the top of the of the pile. It's oh, the same yeah. with Twitter. So if you just have a glance at the at the website or just a glance at Twitter, the headlines you read are just like Jesus, man. But hearing your opinion as someone who's seen societies that work and seen societies that are completely destroyed, it makes me feel a lot better, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, it's one of the reasons I love New York City, too. It's just such a, it's such a great city and just a mesh of culture, religion, and arts, and, and it's just a beautiful city. Last time we spoke, you were, you were busy uh, business building, building Force 12. You were saying, oh, I've got a few plans for this thing, and... <laughs> You've gone just from strength to strength to strength. Why do you think? Why do you think you've had such success in that area, man? You know, I've just been focused. It's, it's one of the reasons I wrote that that book about focus is because, um, you know, I I've just been extremely focused on building the business. We've made a lot of changes. We, I mean, I, I rebranded Force Twelve under Hurricane Media uh, just a year ago, and. We added e-commerce, so we now have this subscription box for men um, that's essentially like cool tactical gadgets. Imagine if James Bond was like picking you out, you know, guy toys and sending them out to you every month. That's kind of what we do. Um, and that that product has done very well for us. And, you know, I feel, 
you know, I, I mean, I, I was in a good space in the digital content space, as you know, especially podcast a few, only a few years ago, it's just this, you know, nobody got it, right? Like nobody in no big ad agencies got it. None of the brands got it. They're like, oh, what's this guy doing this obscure podcast in his basement? And now it's mainstream because people want to consume the content on the, on demand, yeah, on their own terms. And, and so, you know, it, I've been in a, I was in a good space with, with what we were doing in dig, digital media and able to kind of get out ahead of the cable companies over here and just, you know, being focused and have a good team. And we've adapted, you know, we were back in 2012, we were 95% relying on advertising revenue. And today that's, you know, we'll, we'll do eight figures this year. And I think 12% of our revenue will be ad, ad revenue and the rest is ourselves. Like we're selling sub- digital subscriptions, subscriptions to our e-commerce box and, and the advertising revenue kind of fills in the rest. Why, why would you say that you, you were so successful or you are so successful? Is, has it suddenly become this, this massive interest in the sort of work you're doing? Or what is it that you think is behind the success of what you're doing? From a, from a market perspective? So two things. The, our biggest website is, is the news site that we run, and it's, it's called softrep.com. That site is mainly focused on domestic security, foreign policy news, with some military news, but mainly like what's happening in the world today. It's like everyone's concerned about these terrorist attacks in Europe and America um, and, and elsewhere. And so we... With that site, we bring a lot of credibility. We have all of our journalists are mostly ex-special ops guys, some CIA. They have a ton of credibility. They have a ton of ton of resources and, and large networks available to them. And we really try and stay out of the politics. And so, you know, the, that site has seen a surge in, in digital subscriptions because I think a lot of people witnessing this Trump election got fed up with um, American media on the right and the left because it's clearly even even the New York Times which you know I have I know I have a lot of friends there they do good work but they were biased just like Fox News was and it just became so apparent that they were using these the media to kind of push people around and and spin things that People are fed up, so they're looking to alternative places to get their news and information, and they realize they can't, they can no longer go to one place to get the answer and, and trust that, that that news media outlet is going to give them kind of an independent look at the situation because they're all spinning it. And, and then you add in the advertising equation too. We broke, SoftRep broke the story of the first transgender Navy SEAL. We had a large military credit union pull all their ads off the website an hour after that story ran because they were afraid of the content. And that taught me, wow, um, you know, the advertisers will put pressure on media outlets to, to do certain types of, of reporting and content. And that was a big reason we decided to, to go early on uh, subscription only, just so we wouldn't let advertisers have have a say. Like, we just say no. That's 
you can advertise to our audience, but you're not going to have any say in, in what happens on the editorial side. So I think that's why SoftRip has been a really big success. Um, you know, I, I think we have a site called The Loadout Room, which covers camping, outdoor. You know, uh, obviously guns are still very big in America. It's probably a lot of crazy people running around with guns that shouldn't have them, but that's another topic. But um, it is what it is, right? It's, it's American gun culture. It's not... It's not going to go away anytime soon. But we do a lot of content on how to carry firearms safely. Um, you know, there's a big thing in, in the U.S. called EDC. Um, sorry, EDC Everyday Carry, and so we talk about that. You know, and just how to. We try and we do a lot of content around travel safety and being prepared, and try and do it without being alarmist. And obviously, today the world we live in is that is extremely relevant. Like if we do an article that says. If you're an American family and you want to go to Europe, here's how you can kind of travel safer. Like choose these airports, um, avoid these places at these certain times, lower your signature, don't be a glaring, you know, American tourist abroad. There's things that you can do to kind of protect yourself and just lower your threat signature. And I think that stuff is resonating. And then we decided to launch an e-commerce product and we listen to our audience who are already asking us our advice on what to, multi-tool should they use? What's our favorite knife? What's the best hunt or what's the best hiking boot, you know? Um, and so we said, let's curate this stuff for our audience and just offer it to them in a monthly box. And that, that business grew very fast for us in a, in a year and a half. We're, we're um, I mean, we'll, we'll do close to 10 minutes million dollars just in that box oh man good for you yeah that's that's crazy you did you did mention (laughs) you did mention as far as a news source uh goes what soft rep is like and when i first when you and i first met and um before i interviewed you i I remember listening to a couple of podcasts to get ready and uh what i think i appreciated the most was having my paradigms challenged by people who most definitely didn't have a dog in the fight except for we just want, I guess, I don't want to put it so simply, uh, we we just want no one to be assholes and let everyone just get on with their lives and just, you know, do what they want to do. Um, And hearing that, you can't do that in a one-minute news story. You can't do that in 140 characters. You actually do need six or ten minutes to talk about a situation to really get your head around it. And for me, that's what that, you know, certainly that audio format, that podcast format really gives me. Yeah. Um, when I want to find out a little bit more about why is this particular aircraft carrier in this part of the world, you know, what what's happening in the South China Sea? So, so when it comes to our neighbourhood, yeah, um, that sort of stuff, I find I find it really refreshing because you really can't get that kind of analysis too easily if you're not within the communities that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's exactly our niche is where we provide that resource that you can't get and. and Look, I have plenty of friends in media, but there, as you know, for sure, people that are just media, they're news media personalities. Some of them, you know, they used to come up through the, the ranks of reporters, but now they're just these, like, people that look good on camera and can read from the teleprompter. They don't know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to, to foreign policy. I've sat and been interviewed on the national cable t- TV shows and asked, I've gone off script. I've said, okay, well, you know, when this happens in, in 
northern northern Iraq and, and Syria, and they're just like dogs staring at a ceiling fan because it's not on the teleprompter. <laughs> I've seen both. It's I've nice seen, to have. I've seen a stumped yeah. reporter, and I've seen a dog staring at a ceiling fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen both too. <laughs> but but you're right, and uh, and certainly it's if you're not. You know, you talk about, you know, situational awareness in um, in the book and, like, being aware of what methods the news is doing to keep you watching so you do stick around for the commercial that is paying everybody's bills and keeping the lights on. Yep. Uh, for example, trying to steer a conversation in an alarmist or uh, inflammatory, situ- you know, way to invoke uh, emotions within the viewer versus here I am telling you what's actually happening. They're two very different things. Yeah, even I read in the New York Times today because I check all the, the you know I have my list of news sources that I check every day, and and even they said how Korea could could launch nu- nuclear weapons at America, and it's like come on guys, like like that's just clickbait, you know, by the New York Times. It's like North Korea doesn't doesn't have the capability to strike to do a nuclear strike on America. It's just not it's not going to happen, and so. But again, it's just they want to click the eye. They want to get get the clicks and the eyeballs. And it's funny. I I love my mom, and she was she was she's so tired of Facebook. She says, "I just want to go back to watching my funny cat videos. Like just put, <laughs> put those back in my feed." <laughs> you mentioned before about families traveling, and, and certainly, um, you know, Australians we we're on the bottom end. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Into the world, you've, you've been here. It's a, it's a long way from anywhere. And the nearest places to us, besides New Zealand, aren't necessarily the safest. And, you know, that's not yeah. just developing countries. That's what happens. You know, this country, when it was developing, wasn't very safe. And it's interesting what you talk about, the difference between being alarmist. And an alarmist would be, whatever you do, don't get on a plane. Versus, oh no, by all means go, but this is the travel version of putting on your seatbelt before you, before you go. Yeah. You, you know, you don't want to have an accident, but you're going to put the seatbelt on. Like, you don't want to get in trouble. And I, for one, I'm like, I, I have personally taken a how to evade capture course. I can, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very proud to say this, Brandon. I can, as long as they're Smith and Wesson, I can escape a pair of handcuffs behind my back if required. There you go. I learned how there to do go. that. Um, I learned how to yeah. sew the little thing in the, in the hem of my uh, of my oh, yeah. trousers, I, I for years I walked around with um, paracord as my shoelaces because that would cut through zip ties. <laughs> it does. Yeah. 
That's that's great. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, but that, that <laughs> doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I'm too afraid to leave the house or that I am preparing for the zombie apocalypse. It's just, I don't know. What's the difference between for you? What's the difference between being the the prepper, the doomsday prepper, and just being someone who's who's ready? I, I think, and so the readiness in America, especially, and I think it's spreading to Europe, and I don't know if, if it is in Australia, but there's a big thing about being just better prepared, and that's. You know, even my friend Curtis, who's he's in my business forum in New York City. I belong to this entrepreneurs group, and Curtis is one of my closest friends. And you know, he's he's uh, he's gay, and he's like, I want one of those damn tactical go bags that you guys built because when when the riots come or the the next flood, I want to be able to grab this bag of of the bare essential survival items and know that it's in my closet i can grab it go and i'm prepared and so you know i think that's just smart you get it you tuck it away and and hope you never have to use it but but you've you have a little bit of peace of mind that that you prepared i mean and there's maybe a guy that will take it a, a little bit step further and even me man i i went to europe last last summer and i came back from from germany and we landed at JFK, and I got off the plane. I was uh, fortunately had enough travel points to fly business, so I'm off in that first wave. Um, we got down the ramp, and before we got into passport control, the lady stopped us and says, hey, there's been a, a, um, a potential uh, active shooter in Terminal 7, and I think we were in Terminal 1. I remember that. I was tweeting you that night. You were live tweeting the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, dude, it was it was crazy. And so, um, and, and so this, I was like, okay, and no, there was no big deal. We were just kind of stopped in the air bridge and then five, 10 minutes goes by and they say, Oh, it's, it's all clear now. Don't worry about it. So they let us now, like all these people are, are piling into passport control. I get amped and I'm waiting for my bags and then all hell breaks loose. Six police officers run into the baggage area guns out, like guns drawn, and they're yelling at the passengers. This was their, this was their like, remain calm uh, message. Run for your fucking lives. There's an active shooter on the loose. And there's, like, 400 people in, in baggage claim. I turned around. I knew what, was, what I was going to see. Those, those barricade things were flying. Kids were being trampled. Everyone busted out the emergency uh, security doors onto the actual tarmac where the airplanes were, the hiding behind luggage carts, airplane tires, airplane wings. It was complete pandemonium. And I'm looking at myself going, okay, take stock of the situation. I don't hear any gunshots, but all hell's breaking loose. I'm going to at least like get back to cover behind this concrete column, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking right above me and this lady's like TSA ladies holding the gun and she's shaking, you know, cause she doesn't know what to do. And I got the hell out of there and, you know, long, long story longer. I, I ended up talking with one of the, the uh, police officers outside to say, what's going on? And I was texting and tweeting and trying to get more information on social media. And my, my COO Ben, I said, I called him on the phone. I said, Hey, what the hell is going on? And he, he was giving me a live update on, on the news, which they didn't know what was going on. So I talked to the, the police officer and I said, 
hey, what's the plan? What's going on? He's like, hey, we think there's a shooter. We need to get everyone back in the building. And I say, wait a minute. If you don't know what's going on, like at least they're outside and come, they have places to go. Like if you stuff them in this in this air bridge again, this is what, what they want to do, you're going to, one, like they could be sitting ducks and you're going to have like a panic herd on your hands. And so it was clear to me they didn't have a plan. They had a plan to, to counter the threat, but they didn't know what to do with the passengers. And that was a big problem. And I, he's like, yeah, I, I need you guys back in there. And he starts like trying to m- marshal people in. I said, look, look, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm not going back inside um, with that kind of information. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and this little short Jewish girl was next to me. It's like this New York Jewish gal. And she's like, I'm with you. I'm going with you. And then like five other passengers <laughs> like piled on. And we went underneath the airport under the baggage claim where they load the bags up and up to go into the main terminal and around the corner. And I took my jacket off and threw it over the barbed wire and helped everyone climb over the fence. And we, we took cabs and all went home and, and 15 minutes later, they shut down the entire airport. Nobody left. They were stuck until, you know, I think four in the morning and complete madness. So the point is I'm just coming back from my Europe trip to New York and this held loose and so i decided for our premium club members we were going to do this bulletproof insert and i have it i have it i carry it every day to my and backpack he's lifting up the laptop we're just going for a little walk around his apartment oh. so this is in your backpack that you travel around with anyway yeah. that is that's like a it, shield yeah, it weighs as much as a notepad and, and it goes in the, in the laptop section of your bag yeah It'll stop a 45 caliber bullet, and if you have anything else in there, a book or a laptop, it'll it'll stop an assault rifle round. So, you know, and that's to me, I carry that in my in my backpack. I have a high lumens flashlight. I have a Surefire light, which uh, I might as well show you that too. Um, <laughs> you make me want to buy more toys, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at this. Look at this thing. It's Damn. Like, okay, that's the sun. And so, yeah, it's this, it's the lunar or the solar eclipse all over again. But this, you know, this thing I carry with me, it's, you can take it through airport security. Yeah. You can use it, you know, you can also use this brass knuckles, but it's the, the idea is to flash blind somebody in the daylight or nighttime and, and just create space to get away. So yeah, it's just like these little everyday items I carry with me that are useful. I, I love the flashlight because... You know, I have my friends all the time, like, oh, I want to buy a gun. And I'm like, you don't want to buy a gun. Like, you don't know what you're doing. And, um, you know, most police, I would be scared to, to see what they did when they pull out their firearm. They just don't practice enough. Oh, I see. Um, I know I'm going to get some shit from the, my police friends for that one. But. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, th- that's the kind of stuff that I think is, you know, I, I obviously am a little bit more prepared better prepared than the average person but but i don't i don't think carrying a light in my bag is is too drastic you know but it gives you it gives you more of a peace of mind i'd imagine i mean i've got a fire extinguisher in my kitchen you know i don't ever want to have to use it yeah i paid 50 bucks for it i have one in my airplane hanger i don't want to use it either. <laughs> yeah, it might save, 
It might save my, <laughs> it might save my life. Yeah, it might save my yeah. life one day. Um, I do want to talk about. I want to do want to talk about the book because I think one of the great things about reading uh, the stuff you write and certainly talking to you and, and hearing you speak is. Um, I get a little access to the wisdom and the and the knowledge that you've gained through your years of being a, a Navy SEAL without having to go through Hell Week myself, which is kind of nice uh, because I would have been ringing that bell fairly early, I think. <laughs> but you know, you as someone who's had to make those those decisions, as you know, uh, certainly as a sniper and then a sniper trainer. Um, you're making those split-second decisions, and a lot of people have written a lot of things about the split-second decisions. Why did you want to write a book about about focus and about about what it is to have that mindset of of, of focusing and concentrating on a task? Honestly, I felt like what I'd set out to do from just kind of capturing my military experience in in my memoir, The Red Circle which is really my first first big book I did, and honoring my friends um, who had passed away since 9-11 with the book Among Heroes, and kind of like finishing it off with The Killing School, which is all about you know the, the sniper program and, and the world of sniping. I, I felt like I wanted to close the chapter on that kind of, that military chapter and and focus on where I'm at today and what I'm doing. And I really enjoy business. I enjoy positive psychology. I enjoy team building. Um, and, I, and I love writing. And, and I just said, you know what, I think I have something to offer here. Um, having lost a business, you know, lost my, my wife and, you know, had been through a lot of stuff, a lot of adversity and, and t- wanted to, to, to share that experience and talk openly about it. I just, you know, I felt like it was a natural progression, and, and I don't think I'll go ever go back to writing more military-type books. It's just more about what I'm doing today, and I, you know, my neck I'm already working on. I taught my, my friend Kamal Ravikant how to swim at 42. Uh, Kamal's an amazing guy, amazing author. He wrote a book called Rebirth, and uh, his brother... Um, started uh, Angel List in Silicon Valley. A lot of people know his, his brother, Naval. Um, but just a really neat family. And, and Kamal, actually an Army veteran. He was he spent a couple of years in the Army, uh, in the, the infantry. And he had never swam. He spent till 40-plus years of his life scared of the water. He'd go to Tim Ferriss's house in, in Long Island and be kind of scared because Tim has a pool and he, he's afraid he's going to, you know, get put in an awkward situation. And finally, and he's asking me advice about swimming lessons and immersion. And I said, look, man, you can't be a close friend of mine. And I'm a Navy SEAL and have a close friend of mine not know how to, to swim. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> so I, I told him, I said, like, I'm going to teach you how to swim. And what Kamal said that I did that nobody else did was I – I taught him to be comfortable in the water before I taught him any type of strokes. I taught him how they teach babies to basically put your head in the water, your face in the water, exhale, head up, take a breath, face back in the water. We did all these drills. And the second day I had him bobbing up and down up the 15, you know, 15 feet up and down the deep end. And so I got him comfortable in the water and then – taught him the strokes 
the basic strokes. And he said nobody did that. They would just put me in the water and start teaching me how to do the freestyle stroke, and and he's dying. And so he told me this comes full circle now. He's like, you need to do a book on on fear and, and like overcoming fear or mastering fear because he's like, you're the only first person that actually helped me overcome this this fear of of the water and fear of swimming. And so, and to me, like I just love that kind of you know to me you call it good karma or whatever that good energy i love that kind of content and and so kamal literally he also tells we were talking about our superpowers and he's like your superpower is getting shit done he's like i told you about that book idea i i literally had it sold three weeks later wow i sold it he's like son of a bitch like you he's like you don't mess around so yeah i'm excited about that book uh, but that's so I, that's kind of the genre i want to go and when you look at it there's a lot of really smart guys who are writing in that space like tim ferris incredibly talented and and i just said you know what how what do i have to offer that i can contribute well yeah i have all this experience in applying positive psychology to sniper training and then applying it to my own business so i think there's something there that, that i can kind of carve out a niche for myself and so that's that's a very long answer to your question. No, no, that, but that, that, that's okay. But when it comes to, when it comes to, I mean, obviously, as part of the training that you go through, uh, not only through your your own history of, of leaving school and uh, and then, you know, getting that job on the dive boat and working on the dive boat and all of the the, the focus you would have had to have to, to pull that kind of man's job off when you were still a teenager yeah. and then the focus you needed to, to get into the military and the focus you needed to push through all the things that were holding you back from applying for and succeeding to get into the uh, the SEAL training program. Um, this stuff uh, was within you already, but surely along the way you learned ways to sharpen that that focus through your training. Yeah, absolutely. You know, f- there's been times where, you know, I think I think a lot of people that that have success have experienced this at some point in their life where they're just chasing everything, right? They're like, I can conquer the world. I can do this and I, I can do that. And, you know, they ha- have a little bit of success and then and all of a sudden everything goes to hell um, and they realize, okay, I've got to kind of, I've got to focus on a little bit better. And so, you know, I for sure experienced that um, when I got out of the military and I was cocky. I, I thought, oh, I'm a Navy SEAL. I can do anything. And, and I got my teeth kicked in pretty quick and realized, okay, <laughs> maybe not as cock, as good as I think I am, right? So, um, you know, and, and for total focus, I just wanted to tell that story because I see it today as, you know, I'm, I like to, to mentor young entrepreneurs and I see that I, I'm at these entrepreneur parties in the city and, and the guy's like, yeah, I've, I've started this company. I, I've, I've co-founded these two other ones and I'm running them all at once. And I'm like, Oh God, here we go again. And I, I just know how this is going to end. And so I just, you know, wanted to share my own story of, of kind of being unfocused and bringing it in. And now I feel worried, Brandon, cause I've got like five jobs at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's, you know, I'm right. I write books and I have my media company, but I'm in the same like lane, right? Like it's, it's one thing to be in the same swim lane. It's when like, I got an offer the other day that said, you know, I want you to staff up I, this 
friend of mine won this massive overseas security contract and he's like, I want you to help with the training and staffing. I'm going to pay you seven figures and this and that. And I'm like, you know what? That is so far from what I'm doing right now. I'm, I don't care if it's a million dollars or not. I'm declining that opportunity because it's not in my swim lane. I just yeah. don't. And I think that's a, something I talk about in the book too, is having a plan, like having a life plan for yourself which includes, you know, your professional career, your family, your personal goals. And once you have that kind of mapped out and, and it's, it's almost as if you're planning a trip, right? Like you, if you're going to take a sailboat, uh, from Australia and sail it to, uh, let's say Mexico, you know, and choose a destination. Okay. You've got a plan, you know, kind of where you want to go. And yeah, life, life is like uh, the ocean, right? You're going to, start that journey, the wind's going to change, the weather's going to pick up, and you're going to get blown off course, but you know where you're going still. You can kind of make the adjustments and, and continue on. The problem is is when people just untether that boat and off they go with no plan, and they're just letting life push them all over the ocean with no destination, and that I see that way too much. But it feels so good to be impulsive. It feels like you're actually – that's the false thing about impulsivity. You feel like you're getting stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're like a hamster running yeah. on a treadmill. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm going to sign up to an online course. It's going to teach me how to be a great photographer and I'm going to buy a $2,000 camera. And then, you know, you're all, you're just riding that wave of, of inspiration, but then it kind of disappears. And I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that kind of thing. Not the, you know, the camera stuff, but I think we all are. Yeah. But you know, what is the, what is that? What's the biggest mistake people make when it comes to focus? Uh, you know, that's, that's tough. It's, it's a tough one. I just, I think, you know, again, it's a lot of, a lot of younger entrepreneurs and maybe even older ones. They just, they have, I see older entrepreneurs in New York city all the time. They have a, they, they build a business practice. They get it just over the million mark. And it just seems to be like that one to 2 million in, in revenue. And they think they can do everything. And, and instead of, continuing to focus and grow their business, they're off chasing other things and then their core business suffers. And I've just seen it over and over and over. Um, and so, and, and it's interesting too, even if, you know, we're not talking business ownership here, there's a big difference between building on a career over time on, in a career that, that where you're building accomplishments and, 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 I'll say it again with the swim lane analogy. You're in this area of, of um, you know, this professional area that's the same. You're not bouncing all over the place. Career, I would define that way, whereas people that go job to job and bounce all around, they don't really develop a professional history and career of, of accomplishment. Those are the kind of people that are just end up really kind of fucked, um, you know, and so I, I think that's, you know, that's something that is important to, to, to just realize. And, and if people, if someone is stuck in that, you know, it's never too late to change. I mean, there's like so many stories of people in their forties and fifties that have just had this awakening and built businesses or, you know, had a massive career change and, and had a lot of success. So it's never, I don't think it's ever too late, but I think, you know, people, to me, I, you know, passion and happiness is a, is a big thing for me. Like I, I talk 
to my kids about it. I say, okay, I don't care what you want to do in life. Just make sure you're happy and you're doing something that gives you joy. I don't care what it is that you want to do. You want to be a ballet dancer. You want to be an artist. You want to be a fireman. I don't care. Like just make sure it's something that you're happy with and you're not letting someone else kind of define that career path for you. What might those plans look like? Because I'm certainly someone that had a I had a grand plan, Brandon. I was going to go to America. I was going to get my green card. I was going to get on network television. I was going to host live TV. And from there, superstar. All right. I did the first four things, but the superstar part never came. <laughs> and I had to, you know, I, I had, I, and basically I had to turn my boat around. I had to come back to Australia. Yeah. You know, what, when is it okay to, you know, oh, this is just adversity. I can push through it. At what point do you, and I'm sure you would have, you know, had to face this a number of times in your military career and also after your military career. When's it okay to look at that plan and go, I know I wrote this when I was feeling great, but these things weren't evident at that point. I'm going to have to quit this and start again. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's very similar to, to me getting out. And I had this big plan to build this military training facility and training company. And, and I had for sure the experience to do it. And, you know, I got to the point where it just all went to hell and I had to, it was a massive failure, but the difference between failure and quitting are very two different things. Like, you know, you could have just tossed it up and, you know, went, went in, uh, into the outback, uh, in Darwin and just lived out your, lived out your life in a, in a shack, you know, with the saltwater crock. But you, you know, obviously you've, it just ha- had to adjust the plan, right? And I mean, you're still by by very by a lot of people's observations extremely successful in, in the in the media space. So I think it's okay to, to to adjust the plan. And and like me, I I would have never thought I would. If you had told me back in 2006 that I would be running a a media a digital media and e-commerce business, I would have laughed at you and said you're crazy. Like there's just no way. And, but I love what I do. I love creating content. And so I had to make a draft. I just had to shift direction too at that point. So, and, and the, for people, I think it's important to understand the difference between failing at something and quitting because quitting would have just been, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw in the towel and, and I can't do this anymore. And I do see people do that all, all the time where, you know, the people that fail and, and look at it as an opportunity to learn and go, you know, I gonna I learn an awful lot from this, so I'm gonna kind of dust off my ego a bit <laughs> and and realize that, you know, I've gotta make a make a change and do something different. I, I I've gotta agree with you there. Like all the all the greatest developments in my life have happened when, you know, the the Lego model of my life has been smashed into a hundred pieces and I have to put it back together. Yep. That's when, yeah, every, that's, that's when things actually get better. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. It's got to be broken, the, the thing. Uh, but you did mention, um, if I could use the analog again, of I'm going to sail from Australia to Mexico. Yeah. And you talked earlier about, and if I could, you know, go back to the beginning of our conversation, you talked about, you know, a definition of success in, in Afghanistan. How, in, how can you best come up with your own definition of success? Um, and, you know, because it's important because sometimes you might just not stop. You might not realize you've got what you wanted. Yeah. And, and to, to also back up a bit, let's say you're about, you're setting a big goal for yourself and you're about to achieve, like you're, you're about to arrive at the destination. Um, I talk about this in, in the book, 
this is my I became friends with uh, Lanny Basham. He was a gold medalist that really was a pioneer in mental management and positive psychology before it was a thing. And he said the happiest day of his life and the worst day of his life was when he won the gold medal um, in Montreal. And he said it was because he didn't set he he was about to achieve this big goal and he never set another goal ahead of it. And so he had nothing to, to look forward to. And so I think that's important for people to realize too. Like you, you have to constantly be, you know, adjusting. Like I have my yearly plan, I plan every November and I have my five year kind of stretch goals. And I, if I'm about to reach a big milestone or a big plan, I'm, I'm going to set another goal because I kind of keep that carrot out in front of you. But to your point on success, I really think it's up to it's up to each one of us to to define success for ourselves. I used to be, you know, I used to walk around putting my own bullshit on other people and saying, "Why isn't that person more motivated? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that?" And I realized as, as I became older and wiser that you know th- this is my life it's up to me to live my own life and to find success for myself i can't possibly get in, in walk a mile in that person's shoes and understand what makes them tick and what makes them happy so i can't you know to judge them is 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 unfair and so i look at um, my my dad built a house in mexico and this couple and i was you know my dad's down there, he built this beautiful house, and this couple uh, on the beach uh, uh, nearby him, they had moved down to Mexico with with nothing, right? And this was in uh, Cabo San Lucas in the East Cape. Beautiful, like, where the desert meets this wonderful sea. And, you know, the surf and the fishing is, is amazing. And so these people, like, went down there in their, I don't know, late 20s, like, bought ended up like working and just working odd jobs, but living this like amazing life and ended up buying a beachfront property for nothing when it, you know, when nobody was down there, but they were to them, that was happiness and success. And I'm sure many people thought they were, they were nuts for, for living that kind of lifestyle fast forward. And they just happened to, you know, subdivide a big piece of this property on the beach and they made millions of dollars. But, but you know they were they did it because they were they didn't go down there with like oh I'm gonna you know work a par, you know odd jobs and one day I'm gonna buy a beach property and sell for millions they were just living life on their own terms and I think that is it's up to all of us to to do that and for me I you know I learned I think early on when I I had a terrible job as a janitor at cleaning out as a you know twelve year old kid cleaning up after a boat store and then I had this crazy cool job working on the scuba diving boat and that taught me like wow this doesn't even feel like work like this is like i'm having fun and i'm getting paid to do this this is crazy and so i learned that lesson early and i just always told myself i'm going to do something that i'm happy doing and and pursue that and if it stops giving me happiness i'm going to stop and that's why i got out of the navy that's why i gave up my i gave up a promising career in the military. I, I got out at 13 years, seven years short of a full retirement. People thought I was crazy, but I said, you know what? I'm just not having fun anymore. This isn't, this isn't fun to me. I'm doing, I'm change, making a change. And so, you know, I, I think the it is up to, no one can 
can define success or happiness. It's up to us to, to, to find that for ourselves. I'd say though, when you're, but in your answer there, you have the, the message there that I got from it was if your definition of success is not necessarily fiscal, if it's not necessarily monetary, if your definition of success is yes. I, get up, I get up every day doing something that I jump out of bed to do, yeah. then whichever, where, wherever that brings you, is going to be okay and, and quite possibly because yep. you're putting every passion into it. You'll want to work at it harder. You'll want to do the hours longer. You'll have a sound in your voice when you pitch people and they'll go, wow, this person's really into this. Yep. And everything will follow. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, and it's not about money. Like, look, I talk about money and total focus and most people, they look at – they look at celebrities and they go, oh, I want the fancy car and I want this and that. And they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. They have no idea what even it means to be financially independent. And I talk about knowing your number. Like if you want to build a business or you do want to someday be financially free, well, you, there is a number. It's about $10 million that, that produces about four, 10 million invested produces about 400,000 passive income. And I've done this exercise with hundreds of business people that wrote down your ideal, you know, life for the year without, you know, the mega yacht and the, the island and the, you know, owning your own James Bond Island with the <laughs> shark tank. It's, you know, reasonable. If you want two homes, you want to go on three vacations a year, you want a housekeeper, you want to eat out so many meals. It, com it comes out to be 400, a little, you know, roughly around $400,000 us. And it's just, because because it's tied to time and time is finite. There's only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week. That's the number. And and if you want to back into the you know that four hundred thousand, what do I need to, to have in the bank to produce that? It's a big number. And, and and people will say, well, I don't need I don't need that much. Okay, well, say you half it and half it again. It's still two and a half million dollars U.S. It's a lot of money. And if you want that financial freedom, you've got to start changing and putting yourself in a situation to produce that kind of wealth. But the the funny thing is it's I have so many friends who have made a ton of money and they're they're completely miserable because they're not doing you know they sold their business which is what really gave them the joy and like building this thing and running it and they sell it and they have all this money and they're like okay now what I'm miserable I'm just sitting around in a big house like you know <laughs> who cares and so they you know they realize that you know, they've got to do something that, that gives them that passion again. And that's why I would never judge somebody for saying, like my friend Leo, who is like a nomadic, he was an army ranger medic, wandering South America in a van, surfing, like watching him. He was one of our staff writers for our gear site. He's testing, you know, they'd send him a hammock to Guatemala and he's in there you know, writing, blogging about the hammock on the beach, you know, after he just surfed four hours. I'm like, you son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> like, I'm like, he's living this amazing life and it's, he's having a blast doing it. Then he ended up meeting his fiance. They just had a baby. And, you know, I would never judge a person for doing that. Cause that to me, that's like, gee, you, that, that's a, that's an amazing, you know, life. And, and I could tell he's obviously very happy. That's their happiness. Total, total focus is, uh, who who will be buying Total Focus? Who who do you think should buy Total Focus? I mean, I think anybody that wants to, to to focus on their career, start a business. 
I think there's a lot of lessons learned there for parents out there raising kids because I do talk about self-talk, um, how to how to change the way we talk to ourselves internally because we can sometimes be our own worst enemy and, and it happens. It it never I, I don't think ever goes away, but I have developed a habit when I when that little voice starts creeping in my head and it's self-doubt or it's you know, maybe somebody saying something negative in the, in the press about me, I just, I go, okay, I know how to correct for it. And so I talk about that and, and, you know, and we used to teach that to our sniper students and I teach it to my own, my own, uh, children. I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I got really upset because I had a former teammate say, just make stuff up and say really nasty things online. And my 13 year old daughter read it and she was upset. She went to her mom and her, her mom who I'm still very good friends with, you know, came to me and said, Hey, could you please talk to, to her about this? And I said, you know what, rather than get pissed off, I said, I'm going to use this as a, a life learning lesson for her. Cause she's in her teens. She's on social media. She's really into art and making movies. And I said, look, you're going to have to deal with this stuff one day and just know that you've just got to, you know, it happens. And the, the people that no successful, happy person has the time to trash another person. It, they just don't do that. That's not a, it doesn't happen. It's like, so these people are in bad places and you need to, to kind of just realize that and carry on with your own life and surround yourself by positive people. Um, and that, you know, that in itself becomes your kind of support group when you hang around with like positives, you know, like-minded people. So I had this amazing conversation with her and, and just turned the negative into a positive, but you know, I think the book would apply to to anybody like that. Mate, I love the chance that I get to talk with you. Anytime I get to talk with you, it makes my day. Brandon, I'm stoked we had time to do this, and I'm stoked we got to hook up today and have a chat. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's been way, way too long. That was Brandon... Webb. You can find him on Twitter, Brandon T. Webb, W-E-B-B. Follow him there. Uh, find out more about what he does with um, the Hurricane uh, Group and the other things that he does, especially the EDC boxes and things like that that he does. It's really interesting stuff. Let him know you heard him here if you enjoyed it. Do go, go grab um, some of his books. They're, they're great reads. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I know, you know you're all busy doing your thing during the day, during the week, during the night. And an hour of your day is a valuable thing, so thank you for spending an hour here. I hope whatever it is that you're doing is great. If we do see each other at the airport, come say hi. Um, you'll find me in line, <laughs> like everyone else. Until we speak next week, um, look after yourself. Go for a nice walk. Sleep well. And dream of beautiful things. Beautiful things.